How do you create content to make sure people raise hands? What can you do to motivate people? What can you do to encourage them to raise a hand so you can qualify your MQL? Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. The expert we'll be speaking to in this episode is a B2B marketing consultant, writer, podcaster, speaker, and author of three best-selling books. She trains, coaches, and provides strategic guidance on sales enablement, account-based marketing, and sales and marketing integration for enterprise and technology companies. She has given Future Trends content marketing and sales enablement presentations and workshops in the US, Europe, South America, and Asia. My guest in today's episode is Pam Dittner. Pam, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Awesome to have you. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be part of your podcast. I love the title, The State of Sales Enablement. So That's cool. It. I mean, it's like you hit the core right there with your title. You don't have to guess what that is. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. For those listeners who are not watching the video version of this podcast, I'm actually wearing a jersey in honor of Pam's city of residence. Uh, yeah, Portland, the Portland, you know? Oregon Trailblazer. Yes. You go. <laughs> Felix, I cannot believe it. You actually have the jersey. Best NBA team out there with Damien Lillard. You know what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, enough of this. Yeah, Felix, tell you what. If you ever want to come to Portland, Oregon, you always have a place to stay. You can stay with yeah. me and we can go to NBA game together. Uh, How does okay. that sound? You, should, you shouldn't have said that. Uh, if, um, <laughs> I've already sent a the quick... whole family is coming. Now it's going to be a party That's of right. ten. That's right. No problem. We'll take care of that. <laughs> I already have that on my bucket list now. So we're coming. Don't you worry. Please, please. Stop by any time. <laughs> I never told you this, but before we actually got in touch, like I was already following your, your content without actually connecting the dots. And I have to say, you're really a force of nature when it comes to content production. So you're on, uh, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Facebook, you attend events, you attend webinars, you know, like you're kind of everywhere. And then once we started talking, I suddenly connected the dots and realized that's the same person, you know, like I've been following all along. So really, really impressive. I don't know how you do it. It's a lot of work. I mean, I don't actually encourage people to do what I do. It's too much work. I feel like I'm the type of person I like to self-abuse myself. Yeah. You know, like there are people, they do extreme sports. From my perspective, people that do extreme sports, like the Iron Man type of match, they like to self-abuse. You know, they like to abuse themselves mentally and physically. But come down to content, I feel I'm the same, I'm the same way. I don't want to abuse myself physically that way, doing an Iron Man match. But mentally. Yeah, mentally, I was like, yeah, I'm right there. It's insane, okay? Hashtag know, pathetic, pathetic. One of the big content pieces, I suppose, that I really enjoyed from you was your book, Effective Sales Enablement, really awesome resource. For those people who haven't read the book and aren't quite sure about this topic, what are the key areas that marketers should consider when introducing sales enablement in their organization to really make it a success for them? That's actually a great question. Sales enablement is kind of like a gray area. And for longest time, the industry definition of sales enablement is a sales onboarding and sales training. Because that industrial definition, sales onboarding, sales training, 
So many of the salespeople think that sales enablement is really like, okay, the training they're going to receive. But the problem with that is I feel that definition has expanded actually in the past probably 10, 15 years with the rise of digital. The forefront of the, any kind of digital communication tend to be the marketing departments. And then there's a lot of content being created and there's a lot of engagement online that was actually done by, by marketing people. But if you think about it, the whole customer journey in the past, that salespeople tend to focus on what they do. And the customer, when they talk to a salespeople, that's kind of like the beginning of the sales engagement. But nowadays with the digital realm, you really start engaging with your customer when the customer starts searching for your product or even searching for some key terms that you want to target. And from my perspective, because the starting of that digital journey is so early on, and I feel that the sales enablement part of it, marketers can contribute. So yeah. it's kind of like the marketers will do whatever they can on the digital front to enable the sales, enable the prospect to have a conversation with sales. So I feel that in terms of sales enablement, marketer has a role to play. With that being said, there are several areas from my perspective marketers can pay attention to if they are supporting their sales in a way they are enable their marketers. In the B2B marketing realm, and the many of us, when we sell our products or when we market our products, especially B2B products tend to be a whole lot more, I would say, sophisticated and more complicated, like trailers or the tractors or even SaaS-based platform. It may not be very intuitive. So you need to create content. Marketers need to create content, not just to educate the salespeople in terms of how they can sell their products. We also need to create content to educate our prospects how to use our products. From my perspective, the key areas for the marketers to help the salespeople is actually content. Mm. And you create content not just for marketing communication, but also create the content that sales can use, either as a pass-through content or the content is called sell to, which is that it's used as a training material to train the sales team. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a very interesting view what you're saying about the change of dynamic in digital. So, yeah. um, I think you kind of move from a scarcity of information to uh, abundance. Abundance. Of yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. we are overwhelmed with information, seriously. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it, exactly. sometimes it's probably too much that we need to shut down. <laughs> mm, <laughs> like, mm. well, I need to get away from social media for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have, they call it digital detox. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. it's literally you you have to detox yourself and get away from the abundance of the information that's out there. I guess from a sales perspective also, what that means is that buyers are actually looking for guidance and are looking for experts because there's so much information out there, right? And if sales can actually utilize content and their knowledge to guide buyers in that journey, not only in direct communication, but also potentially on social media, you know, I think there's a big opportunity to act as a subject matter expert early on in the journey, right? And marketing can absolutely enable that. I 100% agree, especially on the B2B side. And I was no exception when I was in the corporate world. We tend to talk mm. about our products a lot mm. and we talk about our features a lot. And I think that's not a bad thing to mm. actually share and highlight your product and also the benefits and the features that are associated with it. Mm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the problem is you need to put that in a context. Is it possible, rather than talking about my products very bluntly and blatantly, is it possible you can put in the context that 
talk about the customer's challenges and the pain point they encounter, and then you offer solution to mm. address their pain points. I yeah. think that's the direction that you have to come from a lot of time is understand what your challenges are and talk about your challenges, then weave your products as a part of the solution or the talking point and then share mm. with them in terms of what your product can do. Yeah, and also yeah. be very honest with them and direct and say, hey, you know what? This is what we can do. But if you have some other solutions, maybe we have future product that will come help or this is something that may not work for you. So yeah. I think be very honest and direct about what you can do and you can offer and what you cannot do and you cannot offer. I think it's kind of important. Mm, absolutely. What I've heard people encounter that work in sales, if they actually follow that approach, and they say, I don't think we're the right solution for your problem. Yeah. Then customers or prospects suddenly try and find a reason why you're the right person yeah, exactly. to, to work with them, exactly. you know, because exactly. they appreciate the advice. Agree. So, yeah. so mm -hmm. I think that empathy really goes a long way. Totally agree. Yeah. At Intel, you were really senior in in global marketing team, and you've obviously collaborated with the sales team. Mm -hmm. And from your experience, like not only at Intel, but generally working with one of your many clients, what are the common pitfalls that you encounter when you see marketing and sales teams collaborating? And what can people do to actually avoid those pitfalls? I think the most common pitfall, most common one across all industries and all company is the quality of leads. That's what I heard all the time over and over again from salespeople and say mm. the quality of leads from marketing is not great. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, that is something can be addressed between the two teams. Mm. Is it possible that you can make your definition of MQL and SQL, which is marketing qualified leads and the sales qualified leads, very, very clear and actionable? Mm. For example, some people use lease scoring to yeah. quantify or identify the MQL. Oh, they come to our website, they download like five pieces of content, and therefore they reach a certain lead score and they are qualified and we pass that directly to the salespeople. But downloading five pieces of content, depending on the type of content they download, they may not be ready to buy. Yeah. With that being said, I don't think lead scoring is the right way to qualify MQL. There's a further qualification that needs to happen. I know that Lead Genius, SaaS-based platform company, they're doing a lot of lead gen for companies. And they have a very, very specific in terms of MQL. MQL, from their perspective, needs to meet the ideal customer profile which is it has to meet specific category, like they are in certain industry, the specific lead also come from a certain revenue size, for example. Plus, this specific lead needs to raise a hand, they call a hand raiser, that requests for demo. Mm -hmm. So if the lead doesn't meet that ICP, which is ideal customer profile, and the lead does not raise the hand and say, I want to see a demo, it will not qualify as MQL. Mm -hmm. That's how strict it is. But yeah, once yeah. you have such a strict definition, then you need to have a quality versus quantity discussion. You cannot mm -hmm. expect your marketing team to give you 1,000 leads every single week. That's not going to mm -hmm. happen. Because now that such a strict MQL definition and also very clear, there's no confusion whatsoever, then there's no dispute between sales mm -hmm. and marketing. Yeah, and yeah. with that, Marketing really needs to work very hard to deliver 
Mm-hmm. We still can set up a goal in terms of number of qualified leads coming from marketing team. But mm-hmm. the marketing team needs to be very, very, works very, very hard for that specific definition. How do you create content to make sure people raise hands? What mm-hmm. can you do to motivate people, not just the specific target industry that you want to go after. But again, what can you do to encourage them to raise a hand so you can qualify your MQL MQL, and then pass that to sales? So from my perspective, the biggest problem tend to be the quality of leads that tend to be the tension, the contention points between the sales and marketing. Once that's solved, I think everything comes fairly naturally. Yeah, yeah. I think that's still a common problem. And it really has to do with alignment of incentives, right? I do agree. I think the definition is super important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of marketing teams, if they're incentivized on the number of MQLs generated, like that's then lead generation suddenly becomes contact information capturing, right? I 100% agree. But that doesn't work, actually, for sales team. Sales just doesn't want the name. You know, can you qualify? Can you do any kind of pre-qualification before? So there's another role that tend to come to play is SDR, which Mm. is sales development representative. They tend to be somewhere between kind of like the outside sales team and the marketing team Mm. and tend to belong to the sales organization. They will take a lot of marketing leads and they will pre-qualify before they pass to the real sales reps. Yeah, yeah. So then that pre-qualification was not necessarily done by the marketing team, but was done by SDR, which is, mm-hmm. you know, they call it inside sales. Yeah. Have you come across SDRs being involved in content distribution, like SDRs specifically being used to distribute marketing content because they have more exposure to market early on in the sales process? You know, that's a very interesting question. I just recently went to a podcast. It's called Sales Lift with Tyler Lanley. We talk about SDRs role. And I think the question that you are asking, it really depends on how the company defines the role of SDR. Mm-hmm. So Tyler and I had a conversation. Should SDR be part of marketing team or should I be part of sales team? Mm-hmm. And how early should SDR get involved as a part of demand generation? of marketing that's driving because the demand gen is driving leads, right? The outcome of demand gen is getting leads. So how early should SDR get involved in terms of the overall demand gen or marketing campaigns? So that's very similar questions that you are asking right now. From my perspective, and the Tyler agree with me that it depends on the roles of SDR. Sometimes SDR's role is very passive. They just get the leads from the marketing team and then they qualify. They try to qualify them doing by doing additional research, the IP address or whatnot. But some SDR, they will have additional engagement upfront, not additional, but they proactively engage with the marketing team when they are planning out their demand gen. They provide their feedback based on their conversation with the leads or the prospect that they qualify. And they have some insights in terms of what kind of content tend to resonate. So they share that insights with the marketing team. So when you're doing the email marketing campaigns, a lot of time when I was doing the email marketing, I always like, oh God, what type of content should I do? What is my headline? How do I select content? What is my call to action? And every single month I have to struggle to actually find content sometimes. But with SDR's feedback, because they do qualification all the time, so they understand what kind of information that the prospect's interested So with that kind of feedback, they can help, say, the email marketing managers to identify the content and even possibly write a call to action that will help his job a whole lot easier. 
So to answer your question, I think, yes, if they can involve with the marketing team earlier, it will be great. Second thing is really depends on their roles and responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I think it comes down to the question of where you draw the line and you I know, know. Like where I know. the opportunities for collaboration are. And I yeah, think, exactly. You know, like that sort of content distribution approach, sharing market intelligence, agreeing on what makes a qualified lead and so on. You know, like those are necessities, of course, but they're also opportunities to build bridges and create a line. Between the two. So I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the way sales can benefit from existing content marketing infrastructure, what does that typically look like? I've been talking to various different clients, and I know marketing teams tend to take the lead of generating content. Mm. And a lot of time when they're generating content, they are generating content for outbound marketing. Mm. Mm. Right? They're generating the content, they use the content as a part of outbound marketing effort to drive traffic back to the website. And that's great, right? Obviously, the content has a specific role that leads back to the website, which is good. Mm. I always have a conversation with content marketers in terms of if you can have a conversation, and let's assume it's part of your job, all right, in the big enterprises, everybody's job is very, very well defined. Sometimes you cannot go out of the boundary. You might step on someone else's toes. And I get that. But if you can, is it possible to get some feedback from the sales team? So when you create the content, it provides dual purposes. It can be used for the outbound marketing communication, but it can also be used for the sales team as a pass-through content. When I say pass-through content is you use the content, when you have a content, you promote it for the outbound marketing. But the salespeople can also use that piece of content. It doesn't matter if it's a white paper or case studies or a solution brief. They can use it as a material or something that passed through to their customers. So there are some content like pricing guide, the solution brief, competitive guide, or white paper. There are certain common topics or common content can be used by sales team. Not necessarily the salespeople want to read it. It's used as a pass-through content that they can use as a conversation openers to talk to their prospects, to re-engage with their existing customers. When marketers try to identify the content to help the sales team, it's important to select the content based on the sales stages. When I say sales stages, it's a little bit different than the customer journey. Customer journey is they become aware of your products, they consider your product, they purchase your product, that awareness, consideration, purchase stage. But the sales stages is how salespeople go through the cycle to sell the product. They qualify the customers, they start having conversation, they do a demo, they negotiate, the PO is signed. So that's assumed there is a sales cycle. It's internal sales engagement, the stages they go through to close the deal. When you are looking into the marketing content, make sure that you map the content in the sales stages so the salespeople understand when to use it at what stage. I think that's very critical. It took me a while to understand that because in the past, I was like, oh, customer journey, let's map the marketing content on customer journey. (laughs) Then I passed that to a salespeople, salespeople that, what? And then I was like, what? Yeah, Yeah, you (laughs) have to make it relevant, right? Yes, uh, you hit the core. 
yeah, yeah. make it relevant. Yeah. Also, from a educational point of view, you know, like if you think about really high involvement, buying decisions and purchase decisions and conversations that might be going on for a long time, I think it can even go beyond the solution brief in the white paper and whatnot, and even go into article content or explainer videos that explain certain market dynamics Show and, and tell. certain yep. trends. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, so I love you, it. Love it. So you have that really hyper target distribution that actually contributes to the relationship that sales are building within organizations. Yeah. Especially when you think about long sell cycles and really complex buying decisions, I think that content also plays a big role. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. Content plays an incredible and tremendous amount of role when your purchasing cycle is long. Yeah, yeah. Because content can be a conversation opener. Mm -hmm. You haven't talked to your customer for three or four months. Then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have a piece of white paper or you, have, you identify a specific trend. You can basically mm -hmm. said, hey, we haven't talked to each other for a while. I uh, just want to check in and make sure everything's good. By the way, just want to share with you this piece of content. And I read it this morning. I thought of you. Something yeah, to that yeah. extent. Yeah. So content is a very, very, I would say, convenient conversation opener. Mm, absolutely. So you used to be at Intel. Mm -hmm. And in your current role, you run your own consulting business. And yeah. Now you don't only have that inside view of global organization like Intel, but you work with many different kinds of organizations, right? Like yes, what, I do. What sort of industries do you work with? Tech industries and manufacturing industries tend to be the biggest for me. The tech industry, that's because I've been in the tech industry all my life. And I work with tech industry closely. And then manufacturing industry tend to be another one. The people usually hire me tend to be the one that, hey, you know what? We don't usually do marketing. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, you haven't done marketing for 20 years. You are being, you've been very successful. You probably don't need me. Oh, no, 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 we do. That's because, yeah. you know, digital, we don't know much about digital. And right. they are not necessarily have demand gen type of campaigns. It's just like they are kind of behind. And I usually work with them and trying to set up the process and yeah, also yeah. work with them in terms of the overall campaigns they have to do, especially on the digital front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It always amazes me, those companies that are kind of big and that say we don't do marketing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> seriously, but I actually have a huge respect for companies like that. Oh, absolutely. Obviously, absolutely product -led. Totally yeah, product-led. Yeah, it's product-led, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So the product speaks for itself. On top of yeah. it, they are able to close, sales were able to close deals without marketing's help for 20 yeah. years. They feel they can do it. However, many companies feel that they are not necessarily in that position anymore. Many yeah, companies yeah. feel that way. They need to yeah. do marketing, but yet at the same time, marketing is so fluffy and they're squishy and the digital has so many different channels and they are completely overwhelmed. Yeah, that's right. It's something that you can't afford anymore. Um, yes. And um, they don't want to spend money at the same time. Yeah, yeah. They want the exposure. And I was like, dude, you cannot have both. Yeah. You have yeah, to spend yeah, money yeah. to get. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Marketing exactly. is not free. That's all be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because then on the other hand, you would have companies that don't have such a great product, but they outmarket their competitors. They get the airtime, they know how to use all the channels and convert prospects effectively. I think those companies really have to pick up their game that they want to. Uh, to I make do their agree. I think many companies feel that they need to do that now. Yeah. yeah but yeah, in terms yeah. of how to do it, they are not too sure, but they mm -hmm. are all acknowledged they need to do something different. And in terms of the trends that you see across those businesses that you work with, what are some of the sales enablement trends that you've observed? There are a couple of things from my perspective, and there are many. And I think one thing is with the pandemic and the customer's behavior changes. 
like, for example, during the pandemic, we cannot really go out shopping or we cannot really go out, do a lot of stuff. So the surge of digital usage has gone up tremendously. So a lot of time you see people online during the holiday season and the surge of the digital presence tend to be seasonal. But with pandemic, I think now digital, everybody's online doing something. Mm. So you need to look into your online offering. You also have to look at your website. Mm. You have to think through like, what can you do to beef up your website? What Mm. can you do to beef up your offering? And on top of it, when you look at your customer journey, you have a specific touch points in terms of how the customer engage with you, the frequency of that touch point, especially in the digital front, needs to go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I think marketers, I myself included, to understand in terms of that increase of digital touch point in terms of how they engage. In the past, you can say, oh, they engage, or they come to our website seven times or they download things seven times. There's a 50% of a chance they engage with us. But mm-hmm. I think that number needs to change. You need to go back and validate that number. So that's number one trend. Number two, I have noticed, and the things I'm talking about tend to relate it to what's happening right now. Number two is with COVID, with the pandemic. In the past, when we do any kind of processing change, it tend to be internal. But now when we do any kind of process change due to the pandemic, we do it because we want to keep our customers safe. We do it because, or we don't do something because we want to keep our customers safe. In the past, any kind of process change tend to be internal communication. And as long as your salespeople, your marketing people, your PR people are aware of it, everybody's good. But now, all the process you are making changes, it needs to be communicated externally because it may mm. impact the customer safety. Like yeah, United yeah. Airlines, right? If they change the window spec so they can take on better air pressure or whatever, But that doesn't need to communicate with me who fly United all the time or Southwest Airlines. And I don't need to understand that. I don't need to be informed. Mm. But with pandemic, it has made some changes in terms of that type of information that we need to inform our customer. It's beyond products and beyond benefits. All of a sudden, the process that you are making changes that may impact a customer safety, that needs to Mm. be external communication. Mm. But in the past, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, exactly. So these are the two trends I see that in terms of the content, that have a huge impact in terms of the content, of course, and also the communication Mm. between not just the sales and marketing, is also the internal team that working on some of the process changes. How can they keep the sales and marketing people informed? In the past, they don't have to. They didn't have to. They know I make changes, fine, done. It's a full out customer safety. We don't have to communicate that out. Nobody cares. But mm. now everybody does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a life so, or death. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. You so, better care. These, yeah. I think in terms of sales, communicating with customers as well. And when you think about content in particular, one trend that I've observed is that the content experience is really decentralized now in terms of the way content agree. is con- consumed, you know, so people people Great don't point. sit people don't sit in a room anymore for a 30 slide presentation yep, yep, yep. with five different roles, five different buyer personas, and each one of them might be interested in different things. And you have to make the presentation really long to touch on everything. Now it's decentralized and you have shorter engagement windows and you need to be much more concise and engaging when speaking to those customers. You know, I 100% agree with you, especially when you do that kind of presentation virtually. Mm, mm. You are totally right. It needs to get to a point very succinct. 
it's not like okay, yeah, I have forty slides. You need to shorten that, get to the point, and then have a discussion. Exactly. And the other point as well is a lot of times because you don't have that in-person interaction anymore, it's really hard to actually get airtime with decision makers within the company if they don't immediately see the relevance of your offering. And that's also where content plays a role in terms of indirect communication. So you have a yeah. you have an internal champion within the organization. So sales have basically nurtured that champion and have really made sure that person understands the benefits from a technology point of view. Most of the time that would be a technical person, you know, like a some shape or form, like yeah. possibly the end user. Now it's time to convince the senior executives, and that person basically acts as a. And speaking of pass through content, right? Yep. Um, that person acts as a distributor within the organization to actually share certain content pieces with decision makers to actually make them realize what's in it for them. Yep, I hundred percent. You know, you hit a great point in terms mm. of a lot of sales professional, especially during pandemic, they were struggling. Mm. That's because in the past they can be in front of the prospects, in front of their customers. When mm. you are in front of somebody, you got their time and mm. you can find your way to persuade, convince, and talk to them. And also you can wine and dine with them. Yeah, yeah. But now you cannot do any of that. A lot of sales professionals were struggling big time. And also virtual communication is not necessarily their forte. They love that face-to-face, you know, like get the energy from their customers and have that conversation. But when you put a screen in front of them, all of a sudden they're like, "Um, well, welcome to our meeting. The topics we want to talk about today is really, you know, it's like all of a sudden they kind of become very, very stiff. That's right. That's right. So I can relate to that. In terms of future trends, so I noticed that in your content, you talk a lot about AI in marketing mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. How do you see AI impacting sales enablement in future? Like what's the relationship between AI and what sort of areas of sales enablement will be impacted by AI? The one specific example is on the sales side, I'm not talking about marketing side, is a lot of time sales enablement, also including sales coaching. And there's a lot of sales training companies, they provide coaching to sales professionals so they can do better and how to better engage with their customers. And a part of a sales coaching, a lot of time, especially for young and aspiring sales professionals, sometimes they will need somebody to tell them what to say and how to say it, or they need to practice talking points, or they need to practice in terms of how to go through kind of like five to 10 slides in a very succinct manner, but with their own style. So this coaching part of it, interesting enough, can be done by AI. Mm. So you can have a mock-up interview and then the whole session being recorded, like what you and I are doing right now through a video and also the audio recording. Then the AI can listen to it and actually provide feedback mm. to the salespeople in terms of what they need to do to improve. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. one way of using AI. You can also use AI kind of like a virtual assistant, mm. like Alexa and Google Home. So AI will be sophisticated enough. In some cases, it's already sophisticated enough that can actually write email as a follow-up for you. Mm, Okay. If you heard about GPT-3, they can literally write an article. If you provide them enough brief, they can actually come up with an essay. So imagine, why don't we scale that application in terms of doing an email follow-up? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I just wonder about the personality part, whether it's actually, 
whether it just adds in random emojis or, you know, inappropriate memes. That's definitely going to happen. It's like we are learning and we humans make mistakes. A lot of people expect AI not to make mistakes. I think that's too harsh on AI. Come on. That's right. (laughs) Give AI some love. Exactly. Come on already. Come on already. (laughs) The other thing that I also observed, which is quite cool, is kind of the integration of content recommendations in CRM systems. Like for totally agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think if you speak about reducing friction in the whole process of sales finding content, I think that's the gold standard. Yeah, I totally agree. Just imagine like Amazon always make a recommendation in terms of what we should buy next. Again, the business application of that is can the CIM or your content library make a recommendation in terms of the white content that you should share with your existing account or new prospects? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always like to ask people who've seen it all and have worked in really big roles in sales enablement, what your best advice would be for somebody who's just starting out in sales enablement and for somebody who's going into a global sales enablement role like you have been for the first time. What would your advice be to people like that? Okay, so if you are a marketer or you are a sales enablement manager that's supporting sales team, I want to tell you that you may not get a lot of love from your salespeople. They are very busy and they have quota. They have to meet every single month and every single quarter. They may take you for granted. And I have talked to many marketers supporting sales. They are very frustrated with their salespeople because their salespeople don't recognize their efforts. The key thing is don't look for their approval. Don't look for your salespeople's approval, but look for their respect. If they come back to you over and over again and say, hey, can you help me on this? Hey, can you come to a meeting with me? Hey, can you do this for me? If they ask you to help them, that's a sign of respect. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of marketers, they want to look for recognition. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, thank you so much, Felix, for all your support. A lot of times salespeople don't even say that. I mean, I didn't get that much recognition when I supported my salespeople. But they come back to me all the time, say, Pam, can you come to a meeting with me? Can you do this for me? Can you look into this? Can you evaluate? So that's a sense of respect. If you are supporting salespeople and you are not getting a lot of like pat on the back, don't feel discouraged. If they come back to you, that's a sign of respect. Look for their respect, not the approval. That's the first. If you are in a global role, let's assume you are in the headquarters supporting the local. When I say local, that means regional and also country level. Make sure that you get their feedback. Many, many global marketing manager that resides in the headquarters, they have a tendency of tell the local team what to do. That's okay. Trust me, in some way, local team wants to know the specific direction from you and they are okay to follow direction. But from my 20 years of working with the local team, I have come to realize that it's important to get their feedback. So when you are in a global role, you need to find the balance between global and local. So how do you find that balance of global is very, very critical. Many global organizations in the U.S., especially in the tech company, they tend to be more corporate driven. When I say corporate, it's headquarter driven, less on the local and the countryside. But if you're in a global role, I strongly, strongly encourage you from the very beginning, engage and listen to your local team. Trust me, they will give you tons of feedback in terms of what you need to do better. Awesome. I love that. Pam, thank you so much for joining today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed our conversation. You're full of wisdom. Where can people find you online? Or, I mean, as I said earlier, you're omnipresent, so it's it's hard to miss (laughs) you. But if people really tried hard to seek you out, where can they find you and where can they follow your content? 
Great. You can always email me on my website, pmdinner.com. And my email address is hello at pmdinner.com. Felix is right. I'm pretty much on every single social media channel except TikTok. I have an account, but I haven't I haven't gotten my dance down. All right. I'm still yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to bring that 90s dance back. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you can reach me anywhere. And otherwise, just go to my website and find my email address. Hello at PamDinner.com. Love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pam. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at kruegermarketing.com slash learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com slash learn.